Well, welcome back to another episode of Amen, Brother Ben. If you didn't know, this is the podcast that keeps you focused on God and acting like Jesus. And we are talking about how to build up the good, but we've done that this week. So I want to transition to some of the other things that I was talking about on Sunday, which is intervening when things aren't going good, right? You intervene against evil, but there's a, a way we can react to the negative things in our life that doesn't make it worse. We're going to talk about that today. Unfortunately, it seems like Christianity, a good, a good Christian, has this reputation. And I, listen, I understand that the world and <clears throat> the enemy tends to exaggerate, amplify, and uh, push to the forefront those negative, maybe exaggerated examples of that. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. I try. Look, I know that the devil's got beef with me when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so I try to not give him any extra ammunition to use against me except for what I'm standing on in the Word of God, right? Because here's the thing. He can't take that down. He can't defeat that. And there are going to be times in your life we can pretend it's all going to be puppy, do puppy dogs and rainbows and unicorns, but it's not. There's going to be times where evil seeps its way into your life. And we can't just build up the good. We have to stand up against the not so good, right? We have to intervene. It's, it's, we can't just sit back and let it happen. James 4.17 says that it's sin if we fail to know the right thing and, and, and not do it, right? To, to not actually take action against the good things but sit back and let evil happen. Now, I know you're probably thinking intervene against evil. Does that mean that like we're going to war? We're going to war. Let's go. Okay. No. Well, yeah, kind of. Maybe if you want to get that hype in your spirit, but intervening against evil sometimes looks a little different because while there's certain things that are absolutely abhorrent and terrible, um, there's a difference in hating evil, hating sin, uh, while still loving the sinner or the, the victim or those that are involved in the process. Great example of that. Not that, again, I know that this is not straight up Bible, but uh, in, in the second season of The Chosen, um, I can't wait to get into this with our life groups uh, here at FFC. We're going to be watching season two of The Chosen and talking about it, but there's one particular episode where they encounter someone uh, that has been taken over by a demon, right? And Jesus, when, when he finally interacts with Jesus, Jesus does a great job. At least the writers of The Chosen made Jesus do a great job of responding with firmness to the evil part, but also mercy and grace to the human, right? To the human being that is involved in the process. And that's why... There's two separate levels uh, that Jude chapter one, what Jude chapter one tells us that we need to do, and one of those levels is to have mercy to those that are wavering. See, here's the thing: evil never starts like full blown, right? Evil, I think, many times is um, a product 
of uh, a little seed of doubt, a little seed of lot um, of of selfishness, a little a little tidbit of sinfulness that gets fed the wrong way. It gets tended to the wrong way, right? Now, again, I know there's there's evil out there that are just from day one is evil, but most of the stuff that we encounter in our life is doesn't start full-blown terrible. It starts off with a, well, I don't know if that's quite right. That's just a little deviation off of the truth, and that's why we have to be careful, and that's why I've spent two months making sure we understand what the truth is so that... Uh, we can notice when those things start to waver. And one of the things that we need to do for those that are going through these things is to have mercy towards the wavering. And I want to talk a little bit more. I talked about that in the sermon on Sunday. So if you listen to the sermon, this is not unfamiliar to you. By the way, sorry for the bad audio. I don't know what's up. I think my, our, our, our sound mixer knows that it's about to be replaced. It's got its replacement in the mail as we speak. So it's acting out. Not really, but it just seems that way. Um, but if you can get past the terrible audio quality, which I have a hard time doing, uh, and listen to the sermon, uh, you see that um, you need to show mercy to those that are wavering, meaning that if someone comes with a seed of doubt, a seed of selfishness, a seed of dishonesty, they start believing a lie, that is absolutely something that needs to be tended to, but it needs to be treated uh, a certain way, right? We need to have mercy to those whose faith is wavering because you're not going to argue them and, you know, dunk on them, so to speak, might drop them back into believing the right thing. We've seen that. We've tried that. When someone comes to you and says something that's not quite right and you're concerned about a friend or a coworker or a, or a family member kind of going off the rails, um, we, we can't just react in a, in a nucle, nuclear way, right? We, we can't just go from zero to 100 and, oh, you, you doubt this little thing? Well, you're going to hell. We have to tend those things with, with love, with grace, and mercy, right? So even if, for instance, Romans 14 says, if, if it's a disputable matter, if it's not one of those like really essential beliefs or principles to being a Christian, maybe don't argue about it, right? Or, or maybe be careful how you argue about it. Um, but also, showing mercy to the wavering means that you are doing your best to support them uh, in the truth. That doesn't mean you got to play along with their sin, right? That means you call them out on what they need to be called out on in a loving way. You do it with bookending it with your with your love and your desire for them to know and do the right thing. Um, but to your tone of voice matters. The words that you say, again, I don't want you to overanalyze necessarily, but the, the way you say things matters. You have to be careful and, and measured in your words when you're confronting someone. And so if you see something going on in, in their life, it's much easier and quicker to just go and just say something, ooh, mic drop in your face, and, but that is not effective, right? So the merciful thing to do is to, is to not only uh, pray for them, but to come alongside them and, and trust. And it, it all comes down to, do you trust that the truth is the truth? Because there's, there's people that want something to be true. 
but they don't have enough faith that it is true. So they feel like they have to argue that truth into being truth. Yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know if you're you're keeping up with me at all. This may just be me blabbering, but but when I know that the best thing for somebody to do is to follow Jesus, whether that be follow Jesus and his commands to uh, be a part of a church, to live a righteous life, to avoid sin, um, to do these things. And then when, when I see someone, and I see people all the time getting off the straight and narrow, I have to trust that the Holy Spirit and the natural consequences of that sin are going to do the heavy, the heavy lifting for me, right? So if you, for instance, you see someone who is dating and, and it's not a good dating relationship. They're, you know, having sex already and they're not married. They're, you know, playing house and they really, you know, have been dating a little, little while and you're afraid to say something. Um, say, when you do say something, hey, making sure that you have the right relationship. I was just talking to some friends about that this week, making sure that you have the right uh, relationship with them, that you can say something, but also, doing it in such a way that you are not, you realize that the heavy lifting of getting them to repent is on the Holy Spirit and not on you. So that means that you, you don't have to be wound up and nervous. All you have to do is say what God is telling you to say. Go to them and say, this is wrong. I love you and I don't want you to, because again, anytime you try to pull someone back from from sin, pull someone out of unbelief and and wrong belief, you're, you're doing it with a heart of love, or at least you should be, that that should be motivating you. And even though it may not seem like it to them at the time, it is love. And so you want to make sure that you're, you're doing it with the right motivation. You're doing it with the right tone of voice, but you are doing it saying, you know what? I know that I can, I don't, I don't have to say everything just perfectly. I want to be careful make sure I'm not sinful in what I say to them. But when you confront someone on sin, let's say you go to that person who is sinning in their relationship and you go to confront them about it with truth and love realize that you're not bringing them back from anything but that you pray the holy spirit of god and the conviction of the holy spirit and the natural consequences of that sin will push them back into the arms of jesus and and that you're not burning that bridge in the process all right so i know it's probably very confusing i was all over the place this morning but i feel really strongly about making sure that when we confront, which it is important for us to confront someone, that if they're wavering in, in their obedience, if they're wavering in their righteousness, that we have mercy to them, that we, we call them back to obedience, we call them to repentance, but we call them with mercy, with love, speaking the truth in love and letting Jesus do his job and we'll just do ours. All right, we're gonna talk more about this tomorrow.